Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. By the time this podcast episode hits the air, tax season will be in full swing. Most of us will be paying our taxes in full and on time, but some of us will not. In most years, about 84% of taxes, give or take a percentage point, are paid voluntarily and on time. But the difference between the total taxes owed and the taxes paid on time is called the tax gap. The tax gap last year reached a whopping $574 billion. According to former IRS Commissioner Charles Rosati, that's equal to all of the income taxes that were paid by 90% of individual taxpayers. That's a big hole. And to talk about it, I've asked Charles Rosati to the program. He has worked in business for 46 years and in government for nine years. Rosati had two terms of full-time service in government, in both cases serving Democratic and Republican administrations. Most notable for our listeners, in 1997, Rosati was appointed IRS Commissioner by President Clinton. He remained in this post for the first two years of the Bush administration, completing his service in 2002. In 2005, Rosati was appointed by President Bush to a nine-person panel to recommend reform of the tax code. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. So you wrote this um, opinion piece for Bloomberg about collecting the billions that aren't being paid, the tax gap, instead of raising taxes. What was kind of the inspiration for pinning the article in the first place? That was the inspiration. As I started to realize, there's a gigantic, you know, financial hole that the federal government is is facing. I mean, you mentioned in your intro how big the tax gap is, but if you just look at the overall financial situation of the government, best estimates that I know of is even after the COVID recession, you know, gets gets over, whenever that is, the deficit is still going to be about two trillion dollars a year. So that's a big number. But another way to look at it is that that would be equal to 40% of all the revenue that the government collects. So think about that. If you wanted to cover the tax gap, you'd have to have a huge increase in taxes. And that's before anybody you know does any new spending. And of course, there's a lot of proposals for spending. Right, right. So those are some pressures that exist. That got me to thinking, well, before we start raising taxes you know, or doing anything else, at least we got to collect more of that giant tax gap. And how do we do that? Okay. Well, I think there's a couple, you know, key facts that people need to understand. And I think probably most of your practitioners know this, but maybe not everybody knows how drastic it is. This tax gap, you said it's uh, 14% overall, but it's a huge number, but it's not even. It's not even. It's not like, oh, everybody pays, you know, 85% of their taxes, not even close. Because most people have absolutely no choice about paying their taxes. And that's where most of the money comes from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, if you're an employee, which is a lot of it, the salary was held, is withheld and it's reported on W-2. But even most of the other kinds of income, if you get, you know, interest from your bank or a dividend, you get a 1099 form. And that's very easily, you know, well, helps you understand it, but it also is very easily checked by the IRS. Right. So for all that income, Almost everybody is paying almost 100%, at least 95%. 
where is the tax gap? The tax gap is mostly in the income that is not reported by anybody or is, is reported in a very vague form that can't easily be checked. And so that's where most of the tax back comes from. And that is, you know, certain forms of income that, you know, is, let's call it low visibility. Uh, that's a lot of business income, some rents, income that's in pass-through businesses like partnership. And most of that is also in the top bracket. It's about almost all of it is in the top quartile, the top 25% of taxpayers. Although most taxpayers, you know, in all categories do pay their tax, there's this low visibility category that is, unfortunately, a lot of it is not paid. So we're not talking about like the person who didn't report the $100 that they got paid, you know, on the side, right? We're talking like high dollars. It's not the small guy. It's not somebody that's, you know, you know, not the kid that's raking the lawn, somebody that's driving part-time or even, even somebody that's full-time, but, you know, in a, in a lower, because that's not where, where the, the money is. It's almost all in the top 25% and even more of it, even in the top, like 5%. And, you know, so that's, that's a lot of money. It accumulates. It's not a big, it's 15%, as you said, overall, but it's a much bigger, as much as half in some of these higher categories. So how do you chase those down? So, okay. The first thing to, to note is where it is, which I just said, it's not the little guy. It's not everybody. It's, it's in the upper brackets prim- almost entirely. And it's in certain types of, or in any kinds of income that is not reported by third parties. So the first thing to do is to say that we need to get some better reporting uh, in those let's call them holes, fill in the holes in the third party reporting. So that's, I can go into more detail of that, but that's a key one. It's just basically adding uh, another form of a 1099 that just happens to cover some of the income that is not currently reported. Okay. But another big thing is how the IRS goes about things. There's two problems there. One is the IRS really mostly because of funding limits, but also just because of the way things have evolved over the years just doesn't have up-to-date technology to use the information, even, even the information it already has. I said there were holes, but you would be, and maybe your listeners would be very surprised to realize how little of the information that, you know, is already sent to the IRS in the form of 1099s and K-1s, for example, that the IRS can't use. Um, the whole business of partnership income, for example, that is reported, and I know your professionals know this, K-1s, you know, those are those are 40 million of those come in. Mm-hmm. Well, the IRS uses them only when that doesn't audit. It doesn't have the technology to do any kind of automated matching. So, you know, that's an example. But even where it has, uh, the, you know, information like 1099s, it doesn't always use it. So the, the, the technology has to be upgraded in such a way that it will be able to at least check the information that already comes in, as well as to use what I consider some some holes that need to be filled. And these are big dollar improvements, because I know that I had a conversation with former Commissioner Koskinen um, when he was serving, and he was saying that the systems, a lot of them really are outdated, but the cost to replace them is pretty significant, and it's not something that Congress has on their priority list. Well, that's what I'm trying to, trying to explain to people, because we have done, uh, and it's all published on our website, shrinkthetaxgap.com, so anybody can look at it. But we have done an estimate that by doing the things that we recommend, three things, fill in the holes in the reporting, make, give them the technology to use it, and scale up, but improve, drastically improve 
the way that it's used in, in audits and other follow-ups, we could generate $1.4 trillion over 10 years, wow. which would be 15 to 20 times what it would cost. Now, it's not immediate. It takes years to do it. Mm-hmm. But over 10 years, it would be a lot. And we pointed out that if we got that much money, $1.4 trillion, that's more than would be raised by the proposal that President Biden uh, had in his campaign to raise individual income taxes. So it's a big number, but it's only 19% of the tax. We're only, we're only, the tax gap is so huge that even if we only recover 19% of it, which is what we estimated, we believe conservatively, that still comes to $1.4 billion. So, you know, most business people would be glad to get 15 or 20 times their money. And what's the hesitation then, do you think? to put the money into the systems. Let's be honest. Over the years, little by little, you know, people have found, you know, that cutting the IRS doesn't doesn't cause a lot of damage, right? So they do a little bit. So over 25 years, they've cut the IRS 28%, while the number of business returns has gone up 80%. But each year, it doesn't look like that's a big nick. It's like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. Why? Because the the average taxpayer is still paying. You know, they're getting their wages withheld. They're getting their dividends checked. So it doesn't look like anything. Meantime, this tax gap gets growing. So it's kind of like the frog, you know, that that old joke about the frog that gets into a pot of boiling water, but he doesn't mm-hmm. notice, boil, you know, doesn't notice it until it's too late and, and he's already dead. So over 25 years, this thing has just deteriorated. And, you know, it's true of both the staffing as well as the technology. And, you know, in the meantime, this tax gap has grown. But I think in talking to people, you realize now if something is going to be done to help solve the government's financial problems, at least one of the first steps ought to be at least fix the tax system. I'll only make one other point, Kelly. I mean, some of these problems probably couldn't have been fixed very easily years ago. And I'll tell you a story. When I was commissioner, and I've, I've been gone for you know almost 20 years, the technology was just different. People forget how hugely technology has improved in the last 20 years. I mean, you know, all the things that have happened. So I tried to do some of these things when I was commissioner, you know, on a smaller scale. I tried to do some of this matching, like, for example, the K-1s. And I actually couldn't do it economically because Mm -hmm. it, it was just, you know, not there. I mean, the technology to do a complex analysis was not there. So you would have to have, you know, a skilled revenue agent, you know, uh, do it. And you just couldn't afford to hire that many people to do that. So one of the things that has changed is that today it's possible to do this more efficiently. And by the way, not just efficiently for the IRS, but efficiently for the taxpayers. I mean, there's a whole topic I can go into if you want about how inefficient some of the processes are now, you know, in terms of how they impact the taxpayer. If you do get an audit, for example, we ought to be able to improve those things dramatically by using newer technology. And then really was not really even practical in probably the last five or six years. So when we're talking about these these kinds of changes, would it be something that would be incremental or is it, would it require, like, is it, and, and again, I think for folks listening, especially taxpayers who aren't professionals, they're hesitant to see their tax dollars go towards what they feel like would be enforcement for them, right? So are we talking a big investment in one year? Are we talking investments and no. in, in change, you know, in little bits? How, how, much, how much money and over what period of time are we talking? Okay, so that's a really great point. The answer is no. A big difference in one year would be like any big project. It wouldn't work. We, we've, again, our 
you can look at, see the whole thing on our, our uh, website. But what we're talking about is an increase in their budget of about 6% a year, but extended over about a 10-year period. Okay. So the IRS would be able to improve the way it works with taxpayers. Um, I, 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 I'll give you an example on terms of an audit. I mean, pe- you just raised that point. People are fearful. Am I an honest taxpayer? I'm still going to waste time on an audit. Mm-hmm. The answer is, unfortunately, today, yes. The answer is yes. You might be audited even though and about 20 to 25% of the audits that the IRS does are completely unnecessary because they end up being audits that were no, what they call no change audits, meaning that you know they went and audited and found out, oh, nothing was wrong in the first place. Right. Now you say, why would that happen? It's not because you know the IRS is so stupid or they want to you know go to taxpayers that don't need to be audited. It's because of the technology. They don't have the 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 way that they decide who is audited is using what amounts to like some statistical guesses. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty pretty old. I mean, they're the same basic methodology. I mean, they've improved somewhat, but it's not that different than what it was when I was there 20 years ago. And that wasn't that different the way it was 20 years before that. So, you know, you can only do so much by guessing even with statistics. As soon as you have the right information and the right technology, you can be much more precise. So you only ask question that you need to ask of the people you really need to ask it. And that's, that's an improvement for everybody. It's not just more efficient for the IRS, but the last thing you want is to be you know, spending time on something that doesn't need to be done if you're a taxpayer. I think a, a good example that some of especially our listeners might might understand is when the John Doe subpoenas were issued in the Coinbase uh, matter a few years ago, because it was very clear to the IRS that folks weren't reporting crypto, yeah. but they didn't have the information to figure out who it was that wasn't reporting. So they were asking Coinbase to give turnover massive amounts of data. And I know that there was some privacy concerns over this happening. And, and what evolved, of course, from that is now the IRS has started asking you directly on your tax return whether or not you have purchased, told, you know, transferred crypto. But that's, I think, a good example of where the technology hasn't quite caught up with what's happening in the real world. That is an example, because basically what you want to do is you want to have the information that the IRS has and the technology to be very precise in asking questions of the taxpayer and, and, mm-hmm. and asking which taxpayer. You don't want to bother the taxpayer if you already have information that tells you that that person is complying properly, and most people are. But if you have, and even if you have a question of a taxpayer, you want it to be a precise question. One of the things that is a real huge problem that has been identified by the taxpayer advocate, the IRS taxpayer advocate, in her reports over the years, is that the notices that the IRS sends to taxpayers, in many cases, and you've probably seen many of these, they're really not very easy to figure out what they might say to you. Well, we have a problem with your return. What is the problem? Boy, try to figure that out from the notice. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are things that are, that are, you know, a function of, again, the technology. They can send you a notice that says they have a problem, but they don't have the technology to be precise about it. And they don't have the technology. And then in addition to not being precise about what the problem is, you know, to resolve the problem is very unclear. So, I mean, here's a statistic. Even the simplest audits, where it's just what they call a correspondence audit, where they, you know, ask you a question about some deduction or something, that average is, takes six months to resolve. Okay, now why is that? Because if you look at the process, it's just pushing a lot of paper back and forth and getting information. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had all that information, you could set that up with a phone call 
And today, you know, you can have secure email and you can have secure phone calls and you could resolve that question in maybe one phone call. Well, and that's a frustration that professionals have right now is that IRS does not use a lot of email because of uh, security issues. It's actually difficult to correspond with the service if you don't do it by fax or by phone. I know. And, and uh, you know, actually, the IRS does have some proposals that are pretty good to, to, to move in that direction, but it's being done very, very slowly. So part of that, and, you know, that's partly funding, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's such a mystery how to do a secure email. I mean, right. you know, that, that's not, you know. Sure. Financial institutions, yeah, financial institutions do it all the time, right? Everybody, everybody's using it. I mean, secure video calls. I mean, you could do an audit. I mean, you don't have to even have an office of it. You could have do an audit with a secure email exchange of data and follow that with a secure video call and say, I have a question about these three deductions. Show me the papers or tell me how you, what it is. And you solve the whole thing in a half an hour. It takes six months to do that now. Right. So, I mean, these are things that need to be changed or could be changed that is going, are going to help the taxpayer as well as, you know, raise more, more funds. But I think to go back to the big picture, if I could, just for a second, I just mm-hmm. want to make the point that most taxpayers, even the business taxpayers that have, you know, the income that maybe is not reported now are still paying their taxes just because they're honest people. Mm-hmm. So those people, I think about this, are, are competing with maybe somebody in the same business down the street that maybe is not paying all their taxes. And that's not a level playing field. I mean, if I have a minute, I could tell you a story about something that happened, and this is 20 years ago, but it's still relevant. Oh, please do. Yeah. So I get, you know, I got a lot of visitors from different people and most of them, you know, naturally had their complaints about what what the IRS was doing or wasn't doing. So I get a a visit from some, you know, uh, I can't mention too precisely, but it was some uh, people that represented people that owned small chains of personal care facilities and stores, you know, like uh, hair salons and nail salons and different kinds of personal care things. Mm-hmm. So they, they come into me and their complaint is, look, we're trying to scale up our business. We're trying to be honest, but there's too many people that we're competing with that are just flat out not paying their taxes. And, you know, that's not fair. We can't compete because obviously they have an advantage if they're if they're not paying. And right. so they're saying, what can you do about this? Well, at the time, you know, there wasn't too much I could do. And we weren't, again, talking about the small person, you know, that got a tip. That That was not it. The owners that had chains, I mean, that was the problem, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were just not paying. I mean, of course, the, the majority were paying, but it was a disadvantage. It was not a level playing field was their complaint. And that's true in any business. I mean, if you're, you're paying your taxes, most people are. Mm-hmm. Somebody else down the street is not. You know, <laughs> that's not great for you. Uh, it's not great for the government, but it's not great for you either. So what we're trying to do is I call it leveling the playing field. You know, just make it fair so everybody pays what they owe. Right. And when you were talking earlier, you mentioned that in addition to the technology, you thought some additional reporting could help. And I'm I'm kind of interested in hearing what that is, because for our listeners in your opinion piece, which again, I'll, I'll link to in the show notes so that people can yeah. read it. But you cited the example of um, in 1988, when taxpayers were first required to list social security numbers of dependents. 42 million fewer dependents were claimed yeah. than in 1986. In one year. In one year. All they did was 
was that, you know, it, it was the same as then. You, you could list a child or someone else as a dependent. Prior to that law, and this was, you know, in 1986, you didn't have to put any identifying number, a social security number. Then they passed the law, you have to put an identi- identifying number. Well, the next year, without the IRS having done anything, you know, 42 million dependents disappeared. I mean, some of that could easily have been, you know, people making mistakes, but, you know, some of it was just people taking, taking some liberties. This is the idea of information reporting. That's why I say where it's reported, you get 95% compliance. Where it's not reported, it can be as low as half. Right. So we're proposing to fill in those holes. And, you know, it's only for, and we're only talking about the upper 25% of taxpayers. We're not going to propose anything, anybody beyond that. And it would be just some bank additional 1099 that your bank sends you once a year summary of your deposits and, and withdrawals. And with that information, the taxpayer would have, you know, something that would help them be accurate. And most of those taxpayers actually use preparers. We, we estimate that at least 88% of the taxpayers in that group use preparers. And so the preparers would get that information and would, you know, use it to help prepare an accurate return and avoid a potential inaccurate, also avoid getting an audit that's unnecessary, which mm-hmm. is the worst thing that you get. And one of the the pieces that we sometimes hear in response to this, especially when you start talking about the, the you know, the top 10%, the top 20%, and, you know, and this has been echoed, I think, quite a bit over the last few years is that those those transactions are too complicated for anybody to understand, even the IRS. So how well, how would you respond? I mean, I understand that, you know, it's obviously it's a talking point, but it is something that we've heard parroted quite a bit that, you know, my taxes are so complicated, nobody would understand them. So the IRS shouldn't have to look at them. Um, you know, <laughs> but what, what would you say like to that? I mean, cause I, I assume there's going to be some pushback at the, yeah. at the top from extra reporting. Yeah. Well, first of all, the extra reporting is something that you would receive, you know, you don't really have to use it, it would help to use it, but the IRS could use it to check nobody's taxes are too complex, you know, to, to analyze. I mean, the IRS does analyze giant corporations that are global and it can do that. Mm-hmm. So the real point is to do it efficiently for both the taxpayer and the IRS. So we have proposed something that says for the really complex taxpayers, and we're suggesting those that have over $400,000 of income, which is a small group, but have more complex stuff, mm-hmm. the IRS would provide them a form, what we call a reconciliation form. So they could explain in advance any transactions that are different between the 1099 and their return. That would eliminate a lot of confusion. They would be able to explain, you know, for example, if they had deposits that were greater than than they reported, that that was because of a gift, for example, or a loan of of something that isn't, you know, considered income. Mm -hmm. And that would save a lot of complexity you know, in terms of the IRS analyzing it and potentially avoiding unnecessary audits or lengthy, lengthy exchanges of information about something that's complex. So we, we actually, I mean, it, the point is that you made about people that, that people were making, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent valid because some of it, I would say, honestly, is kind of a, an argument and maybe an excuse, but there is some validity to it. And we think there's a solution to that by giving the, it would be the taxpayers preparers that would do it an opportunity to just file one additional schedule to explain in advance anything that might be considered a difference between the reporting and the return. And do you think that would result in any additional oversight for preparers? Not oversight. No, I don't think it would result in any additional oversight at all. Mm -hmm. 
it's, you know, I mean, preparers use the information that the taxpayers get to prepare their return. This would be the same. There's nothing different about that. Right. So when we talk about all of these different pieces that you're proposing, and again, we'll put the uh, link to the website as well on the show notes so that folks can check it out. Kind of what's the next step then? So you've, you've come up with these proposals. What's the next step for, you know, pushing it forward? It's a great question. We're talking to a lot of people. That's why we're talking to you. And that's why mm-hmm. we've got these um, editorials and things coming out. But we're also talking to people in Hill and the Treasury. And uh, we hope that they might, as part of their proposals or whatever they're going to do, might, might adopt this. It's still in an early stage. Uh, we do feel that this is something that, as you said, is not a one-year issue. You know, it's something that has to be done carefully over a period of time. So therefore, we believe, at least I believe, uh, I will say, that this is not something that should be done only by, you know, the Treasury Department, or certainly not by the IRS, but even by the Treasury Department. We think that the Congress would have to pass a law that would actually lay out, you know, what was expected mm-hmm. uh, so that it would be have continuity over the years. So I think that, you know, in, in some form, there would have to be legislation that would be passed at some point. So it's not going to be, you know, tomorrow morning. But there is interest in it. And uh, I would say that if uh, some of your listeners, uh, you know, I think that there's any sense to this, that uh, write us or let us know that there's a way that you can contact us on the, on the website and, um, or uh, tell your friends about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today and explaining this, uh, the proposal. Is there any other kind of like, like a, if you had a, either an anecdote or a statistic or just kind of a feel for what you think would, you shared with us earlier that one of the reasons you thought this was important is because you don't want people to raise taxes when the money's already out there. Is there anything that you could leave the listeners with that would kind of summarize why you think this is most important, just kind of to to pull it all together? Well, I think that it's the fairness. It's the thing that, you know, this tax gap is equal to what 90% of 90% of taxpayers pay. So just to quantify it, if you made less than, if you earned less than $145,000 and paid all your income tax, all of that tax that you and everybody in that, uh, everybody below that bracket paid is being offset by this, by this tax gap. So, I mean, you know, and if the taxes go up, it's the people that are complying that are already going to be paying. So to me, it's yes, it's money, but it's more about fairness. It's just not not right that, you know, so many people would be paying tax and then a minority, you know, would not be and that that's, you know, that's offsetting what they pay. So I, I just see it as something that, you know, for the long term good of the country, you know, and the fairness to honest taxpayers is something that should be addressed. Terrific. Again, thank you so much for your time today. And if you could one more time tell us the website. Yes, it's very, one word, shrinkthetaxgap.com. Terrific. And again, we'll make sure that we also put that in the show notes. Thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.